Hello San Pedro podcast, episode nine. You are listening to the Hello San Pedro podcast. I'm Amanda, your host. Join me as I talk to amazing people within our community, business owners, community activists, local leaders, and people like you and me who love San Pedro. This is a place where we'll share big ideas, discuss hot topics, and spread good vibes. Hey everyone, happy Thanksgiving. I hope your weekend is filled with lots of food, family, and fun. And if that's not a reality for you, then hang in there. And thank you for plugging into this podcast. I really want to do my best to provide positivity for this community. And when I started the podcast, I really wanted to make sure that it wasn't controversial. I kind of just wanted to keep it like upbeat and sunshine and rainbows. But what I quickly learned is that when we're discussing anything relevant to the community, there are so many topics that are politicized and inherently controversial. Today, we are talking about one of those topics. Today's episode is heavy. My guests and I are discussing a very heated subject in San Pedro right now. And if you're not in town, then you might not know, but there has been an increasing population of homeless people on our sidewalks. We're seeing more and more people on our corners with signs that say, homeless, hungry, anything helps. In the recent months, there have been there has been a big development, and the city wants to place a bridge home in San Pedro. The site that they were considering and now has been decided on is Beacon Street, right in front of the cruise terminal. Since the announcements were made, there has been like a flood of support as well as protests against this project. And the number one issue that I can gather from the news articles is that it's just too close to neighboring businesses and residential areas. Um, real quick, let me just read, I want to quickly read a few headlines from the Daily Breeze relating to this issue. One says, as angry San Pedro protesters take to the streets to oppose shelter, Buscaino stands behind efforts to help homeless. So Buscaino is Joe Buscaino and he's our councilman, our local councilman. Um, and he has pretty much been the one, uh, spearheading this in our area. Uh, another article headline reads, Homeless shelter supporters line San Pedro streets with candles and a message. So the headlines vary, and the only thing that is certain is that there is a strong support and a strong opposition. In the article about the protest, it shows a picture of protesters. Um, I'm just going to go over this really quickly. One, one of the protesters with pretty much the only sign that I can read clearly, and it says, What about the good people? It's being held by a white woman with short blonde hair whom I can't see the face of, but from what I can tell, she looks like a regular San Pedro mom. And if I'm going to speak honestly, to me, this is a little scary and truly disappointing. But the fact is, the sign was real, and she proudly held it at a protest. Um, What I gather from this is that there's a very real issue of seeing all homeless people as bad, as if all people in homes are good (laughs) um also uh further in the article it reads that there were counter protesters to that protest holding signs that say no nazis in san pedro and we support joe our councilman um or we support solutions so yeah that's just a little bit from the newspaper i won't even get into all the facebook comments that i read on the issue in like the local facebook groups It's honestly so disheartening and negative. I really wanted to come at this issue looking from both sides, but it's so difficult when one side is holding signs that say, what about the good people? And also being accused of Nazi-like rhetoric. Um, And the other side is simply about solutions. Um, But I do want to say that those opposing the bridge home and homelessness in general, um, I should say homeless people in general, they they have very real concerns and their opinion does matter i don't want to discount them they are a part of our community and they love it just like we do they're doing what they believe is the right thing for this community um and i want to acknowledge that and also thank them for you know doing what they feel is right uh honestly all the controversy just makes me want to shy away from this topic because i don't want to be on the receiving end of all the hate but 
Nevertheless, I feel that if I'm going to serve a purpose and if I'm going to make a difference um, and if this podcast is going to have any meaning at all, then I need to shed, shed light on this issue. I also want to say also that I too disagree with the location for the bridge home. Um, it's, you know, it's going to be on Beacon Street now. It's been decided. I personally don't think it should have gone right in front of our cruise terminal for the whole world to see. You know, people will be coming from everywhere to go on their cruises. And now the first thing they'll see is a homeless shelter. But it is what it is. And since it's been decided, I've kind of trained my I've kind of just made myself shift my mentality and now the way I'm kind of seeing it is like okay let them come let them see let's show them what San Pedro is doing to take care of a national issue in their own backyard let's set an example for the other communities across the country and show them what love looks like let's show them how to solve a crisis you know let's let's be the ones who rise up (laughs) and really make the big difference. I want to encourage everyone to listen with an open mind and just know that homelessness is not just happening here. It's a nationwide epidemic. It's happening in cities across America. And it's not an isolated issue either. It's very closely related to the issues of drug abuse, prostitution, sex trafficking. And I hate to say it because I'm a mom now and it breaks my heart, but sex trafficking of minors, it's insane how close homelessness and poverty are related to these other threats in our society. People without homes are not safe. People without homes have no peace. People without homes are forced to make decisions that compromise their morals, their humanity, just to survive, have a meal to eat, make it to the next day. And I really just want this episode to educate and bring awareness to some of that i strongly believe that we need to be a part of the solution because this is just too big an issue in today's episode we will discuss the local issue of homelessness and how it's affecting our san pedro community my guest today is amber shake ginsburg she's an amazing woman and incredibly informed on the issue uh i'm very proud to have her on the show and heads up we had to record in the actual cafe of sirens this time so you'll hear some environmental sounds Uh, If you could just please pretend you're having delicious coffee with us and (laughs) you're right in on the conversation. Here we go. Amber is an LA-based nonprofit consultant with Thurlow Associates and a San Pedro resident of about a decade. Her clients span the nonprofit field from healthcare to social justice organizations. And prior to becoming a consultant, she worked in homeless services, education, and with social justice organizations. She is currently the vice chair of the Coastal San Pedro Neighborhood Council's Homelessness Committee and coordinates a CD15 working group on homelessness. She lives in San Pedro with her husband, Joe, and two young children. All right, so uh, I'm here with Amber. We're here at Sirens uh, here on 7th Street in downtown San Pedro. Um, how are you doing, Amber? I'm doing well. And just so everyone knows, we're literally in Sirens right yeah. now. So <laughs> We're having our coffee. Yes. And we're going to have a very serious chat over Absolutely. delicious coffee. Um, I've, I've been wanting to get you on the show for a very long time. And you were one of the first people I reached out to. And you're one of the first people to like get back to me immediately. And since then, it's just been kind of like, when can we meet? When can yeah. we meet? <laughs> Two working mamas. Yeah. Not the easiest thing always. Yeah. But mm-hmm. absolutely glad we made it happen. Totally. Me too. I'm so glad. Um, well, I, I just, I don't plan to do much of the talking. I want to hear everything you have to say. Um, and, you know, in the intro, I do all of the, the precursor. No. <laughs> um, so first, tell us, what do we need to know about homelessness in general? And then we'll get... We'll get very specific to San Pedro as we move on. Yes, absolutely. Well, uh, I like to start out with, with solutions and with positive things. Okay. So um, I think actually Janice Hong said this pretty well in her state of the region or state of the uh, district um, was that home solve homelessness. And another organization I work closely with said it so well that that homes are more than just houses too so those are kind of two separate things but um home 
people experiencing homelessness are truly just that, people experiencing homelessness for, for various reasons. And I can break down the stats of why folks are experiencing homelessness in San Pedro or in our greater Harbor region. But at the end of the day, it is just people experiencing this mm -hmm. as their current reality. Yeah. So that's something that really grounds me and centers me in this work. Um, but truly, it's a solution. We have a solution for it. I always talk about it like if this was an epidemic, which it is. Yeah and we have the cure and we're just not using it, we would think that is completely irresponsible if it was a, a disease or if it was something else. Irresponsible and I want to say immoral. Completely even. unethical, yeah. immoral, mm -hmm. inhumane. Mm -hmm. um, United Nations human, human rights, one of the basic ones are a right to shelter. Right. So we are continually not adhering to mm -hmm. that as a country, as a state, as a city. Right. Um, Homelessness is not just an issue specific to San Pedro, and, and we know that, but I think in the community we're like, what are they doing here, you know, go somewhere else. But I, I feel like, I, th I think we need to spread a little bit more awareness and maybe educate our communities to know that this isn't just happening here, it's happening across the nation, and it's becoming an increasingly bigger issue. It's just growing in numbers, you know? Absolutely. Um, so a couple years ago, what, actually when I was working on Skid Row, so my background is in homeless services, and then now I work with lots of social justice organizations as a consultant, some of which are homeless service organizations. So 10 years ago, I, more than 10 years ago now, I worked on Skid Row for the Downtown Women's Center, which is a homeless service organization that works with women, focused with women or women, people who identify as women. Um, and we do permanent supportive housing and wraparound services to help alleviate people's situation. So obviously the end game is always to get housing, but a lot of times there's a lot of other barriers. There's there's you know employment, there's mental health barriers, there's trauma, there's uh, health, literal health issues. So trying to attack that from to, from different perspectives. And you know, we have many leaders actually in this community who say this so well, like in San Pedro itself, we have 500 homeless individuals. And those are 500 solutions as well. There's right. not one blanket solution. Right. And across our county, we have more than 50,000 mm -hmm. homeless individuals. Mm -hmm. So that's 50,000 stories, right. 50,000 solutions. That is overwhelming. I completely get that. But we do have some, some tried and true best practices mm -hmm. to help with this and not lump this all together as one population as well. Right. And I think that's what, I think that's what we do. We do so often is like the homeless, you know, the homeless. But really, you know, I actually wanted to share a story and I wanted to like email you immediately when, when I met this young person. I went to a gas station in El Segundo. Um, there, this is the second time I've seen him there, but it's a young young black man and he offers to wash your window for a, whatever spare change you have. And I had just gotten a car wash and I said, hey, I just got a car wash, but I have spare change. It was like the day of the, lotto, the lottery. Okay. So I had all this extra change. I spent, you know, <laughs> X amount of dollars on lottery tickets. <laughs> You know, everybody's doing a pool at work, so I had spare change, and I said, you know what, here's 10, you know, wow. yeah, and I, and I had that, you know, because cash, when I have cash, I just, honestly, it disappears for me, you know, That's I like, I, I spend any. it, exactly, <laughs> I just spend it, and for me, it's like no big deal yeah. to give it away, especially when I think of all the times I want to give a dollar, but don't have a dollar, Yeah. so when I had 10, I gave it to him, and um, I, I ended it there, and I went to just you know, fill my gas tank. But while I was waiting, I was like, why don't I ask him about himself? I found out his name was um, Kyson, and he is a young man who just graduated from high school this year. And he and his mom immigrated from Jamaica um, when he was nine years old. And I asked him why he was on, like why he was here, why he, where he was staying. And he said, well, I'm staying with friends. He goes, my mom passed away. That was literally the end of his hunt is his mom, who was a, a rent pair, passed away, and he had, he had no other place to go. And he said he was in the homeless shelters, but he didn't feel safe. So right now he is basically staying with whoever will... Yeah, surfing. Exactly, who will graciously have him. And um, that, really, that really touched me. And it, and it just goes to show that there is not just one story for, every, for this whole community of people. There's individual stories, like you said. Absolutely. I mean... It's like any 
group that we otherize, right? Mm -hmm. um, we say blank people are all blank. Mm -hmm. Blank people are all blank. I mean, that's yeah. what we're doing in this situation. And and it's so funny <laughs> that you say that you, you've used this example before. Yeah. If you replace yes. homeless with any other word. It's called bigotry, what you're doing. Yeah. Um, and I know that sounds so extreme, but it is extreme. Yeah. Um, I'm, I grew up Muslim. Uh -huh. Right. So I feel very strongly about, you know, some of the anti-Muslim rhetoric out there. Mm -hmm. But truly, if we just replaced, you know, all all homeless or vagrants or all home, blah, 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 just replace the word with anything else. Any, any other anything black. Yeah. Um, Gay, yes, totally. Transgender, whatever you wanted to say. It's called bigotry. It's called hate yeah. speech. It is hate speech. Um, but we don't think of it that way. Mm -hmm. And we justify it. And somebody said this to me literally over coffee before we met, was that if we took some of the posts on Facebook or some of the flyers that we see and we replaced the word homeless with black, we would be back in the 1950s. Absolutely. Literally, it would say, because some of these say, we are not against homeless people, we just don't think this solution is a good fit for our neighborhood. Right. What is that? That's called what... <laughs> came before the civil rights movement. Yeah, it's um, racism if you replace it with the absolutely. word Absolutely. So, yeah. And I, th I know some people say, well, that's extreme. In time, every, it, back in history, every time we've dealt with this issue, in any iteration, it's always seemed extreme. Right. Mm -hmm. So, that is why I do what I do. But those personal stories are everything. And if I can tell one quickly, mm -hmm. um, I had worked on Skid Row, so I worked at the Downtown Women's Center for several years before I met a woman in our day center. So it's you enter the day center, and that's where people get lunch, and they get services, and that's also where our volunteers, staff check in. Everyone goes through the same front door. And I remember coming into work one day, and a woman uh, dressed much like me was sitting there, and I said, Hi, I'm Amber. Are, are you here with one of our volunteer groups? I don't think they're meeting for an hour or two. And she's like, no, I'm here to get lunch. And it was such a humbling experience for me. I'd been working with this population, my homeless neighbors, for so long. Mm -hmm. And I still was completely, I fell short of all the prejudices. You know, I, I fell into my own trap. Right. Where I saw a woman dressed nicely who looked like me. Right. Who was a similar age. She right. looked like she probably worked in marketing at Google. I mean, right. I, I don't know how else to stereotype it. Yeah. And I, like, couldn't help it. And she came back day after day for the next several weeks mm -hmm. and finally I took her aside and said like girl what is your story yeah. I can't not ask yeah and she said that she lived in Santa Monica and was a renter uh -huh. and um, she had a great job and was moving on to a different job so she in the first few months was on Cobra because uh -huh. this is before you know Obamacare right and she got in a biking accident she was a you know, street cyclist oh my god didn't have yeah. coverage and she, of course, knew that she was going to get another job because she's super successful and highly marketable. So she's she's great. She's going to get started. It's no big deal. She'll keep it. She'll keep her job. Um, so she paid her bills, not wanting to get bad credit. And then she got laid off. Wow. Yeah. And then now she paid her bills with all her savings and had none. Mm -hmm. So two months later, completely out of a house. So that's out of a house, out of your savings. Out of your savings, injured still also. Yeah, injured still, so <laughs> um, unable to really Wasn't able to find a job quickly enough right. and started couch surfing. Yeah. Yeah. But as a 30-something, I hate to say it, like educated, she could not couch surf for that long on her friend's couches. She had too much pride. Yes. She was like, really? like I can't, like my friends have kids and they have families. and So she did it for several weeks and then one day was like, I have no one else to couch her. Yeah. And found herself down on Skid Row. Wow. That's unbelievable. Hopeful story. She, after three, four months, did find housing okay. and a new job and was back to it. But holy crap. Yeah. You just don't expect that kind of a story. And you see yourself in that story. Absolutely. You it, know? I, th I feel like when it comes to this issue, I'm like, you need to understand how close we all could be yes. to being... On, in the same position. Yeah. So if um, if you're like a young something in your 20s and you're living at home, well, it's just basically at your your yeah. parents' <laughs> you know graciousness. That you, you know? get to be not yeah. homeless. So as yeah. soon as, you know, depending, I'm, I'm not saying all 20-somethings yeah. or whatever, but, you know, as soon as they don't want to put up with your crap anymore, technically you could be homeless. 
And when it comes to, you know, a young couple like myself and my husband, one of us losing our job would really compromise our rent. Absolutely. It would compromise our it's entire... It's Yeah. It, it really would just completely make us unstable. And luckily, we both come from families that would help out immediately. Of course. But if we came from the East Coast or we came from somewhere else or we came from another country... Or you came from families that already had economic issues themselves. And exactly. that's that's something exactly. we see in Los Angeles more than anywhere else is we see multi-generational homelessness. Right. So if if you are a youth born to a family that was homeless or flirting with homelessness through most of your life, right. you entered the foster care system. Right. You aged out of the foster care system. You are so much more likely to become a homeless adult. Yeah. And I think people don't realize that. There are people, and I am one of them, who have a safety net, who have family that have means. Mm -hmm. But if you do not have family that have the means, it doesn't, there is no safety net. And, and it's so hard for people to understand that situation. It is because we're privileged. We have, we've been growing up with people, with families who have loved us the whole time, who may not have ever maybe touched drugs before or yes. have ever had to struggle to have multiple jobs. Yeah. You know, we've grown up with our families and our parents. And I and I feel like we need to open our eyes to see there's a whole other side of our, of our community that is struggling. You know, multiple jobs, um, you know, back paycheck, back to back, you know, it only takes maybe a couple paychecks to be missed for all of us to kind of like yes. maybe get rattled a little bit. Yeah, and two some, paychecks and an illness will do it for most of us. Absolutely. So yes. one injury, one, I mean, and injury means hospital bills. Injury mm -hmm. means massive debt for a lot of people. Absolutely. And not being able to afford any of your bills. Um, and shelter is the biggest bill, you know, it's the biggest yeah. tab. Yeah. Yeah. So we just need to open our eyes to realize that there are a lot of different situations out there. And you heard the you heard the episode with Mike Real. Oh, uh, which I loved. Yeah, yes. I'm glad you liked it. Um, and in the beginning, I kind of share my uh, <laughs> my a little bit about my gentrification rabbit hole that I went on. I researched a lot about gentrification, which is basically revitalizing a city, but often a lot of people get displaced. Correct. It goes yeah. hand in hand. Um, and what I learned most was that. Homelessness is not just an an issue on its own. It's not a, a, um, a lone issue. It's actually part of a much bigger issue. Yeah, it's not isolated. It's part of a Absolutely. much more complex issue. Exactly. Um, the and, lack of yeah. affordable housing, yes. and we talk about that with Mike, the lack of affordable housing is real. And, and when it comes to gentrification, they want to bring, you know, make our city beautiful, a lot of buildings go up, but not enough affordable homes. Absolutely. Yeah, and so there's a lot of people getting displaced and not having anywhere to go. And so homelessness is just the part that we can see. There's income, at, there's trade-offs at every income level when something like this happens, and we're seeing it in San Pedro, and it, it, if we don't come up with something and we don't start really opening our hearts to this community of people, I feel like it's just going to get worse. It is It is getting worse, yeah. and it has gotten worse. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's something that people, they don't want to hear, or it's scary to hear that. That if we would have done something three years ago, we, won't ha we wouldn't have had the situation we have right now. Right. And no one wants to hear that, because it's pessimistic. And I try to only look forward, but sometimes it takes a little reflecting on that as well. Absolutely. We created this situation. Um, and I think actually our mayor, love him or hate him, is very clear about that, that we created the situation we're in mm -hmm. and we have, we're very low in that hole right. and we need to dig our way out and it's going to take time and it's going to take resources and it's going to take a change of heart and a change of framing the issue and it's going to be slow and painful, but it's so much better than what this city will look like 10 years from now right. if we don't do anything. Right, yeah. I think we need to look back and look at our future yeah. and see, okay, we have a place, we're in a position to navigate where this goes. Yes. And we we have means, we have I, resources. And it's such a, I, you know, I'm such a positive person, but this is our fault. Mm -hmm. um, and we just need to own that the way we own everything that's our, that, you know, that right. we have collectively made mistakes with uh -huh. and just say, okay, but now is the time to change that. Right. Like I have two children, two very young children. I would love it if we did not have this situation, especially to this extent mm -hmm. when they are my age. Mm -hmm. um, 
several years ago, we were dubbed the homeless capital of the nation because we were. I think San Pedro was? Uh, no, no, Los Angeles. Oh, Los Angeles. Los Angeles, okay. yeah. Um, New York has, t- we've kind of gone back and forth with New York. And the fact is, I think New York is now on, on top again. Oh, lucky them. Yeah. But <laughs> the difference between us and New York, just like us and other areas, is New York, I think I heard the most recent stats, only 4% of their homeless are unsheltered. Oh, wow. So for us. Yeah. <laughs> See, because most of our homeless are unsheltered. So yeah, they may have more that identify as homeless for various reasons. Mm-hmm. Because like we said, there's so many different mm-hmm. levels of homelessness and populations mm-hmm. within it. But we have more people sleeping on the street. Right. Um, and even for all of the people that you see sleeping on the street, there are tens of hundreds more that you cannot see. Right. Because they are not sleeping right on your street, they're sleeping on someone's couch. They are in and out of shelters. They right. are sleeping in their car. Right. And that's what I think we fail to see. And even in San Pedro here, a lot of people, you know, they see our most visible homeless. Mm-hmm. And I am not going to sugarcoat it. Our most visible homeless are scary and yeah. they're vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And they're usually our neighbors who are struggling with mental illness mm-hmm. or addiction. Right. And that is not the majority of people we're talking about. Right. Um, but those are the ones you see for all of those reasons. And sometimes I have to ask people, how many homeless with your eyes have you seen in San Pedro, within the borders of San Pedro, in the past two months? Mm-hmm. And a lot of people say, well, I, I know personally of 25, 40, or I've heard 50 is the highest number. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I'm like, wow, you've seen 50 people sleeping on the street. And I'm like, yeah. Like, do you know there's 500 homeless individuals in San Pedro? So those 450 you have not laid eyes on, what do you think their stories are? Yeah. Um, And those are the people, I mean, we need to house everyone, end of story. Right. But those are some of the quote-unquote low-hanging fruit that we just need to house. We just need to make sure they're safe Mm -hmm. and that they don't fall into some of these compounding issues that we see when people remain unhoused for long periods of time. Because, I mean, this may sound anecdotal and funny, but like, even if I didn't have a mental uh, illness before I became homeless, if I spent one year on the streets and had to deal with a level of trauma, sexual violence, and everything else that women have to deal with, absolutely, or any individuals, yeah, um, wow, I would sure have a lot of issues. Yes, and <sighs> I, I, I kind of said the same thing to somebody else in regards to um, they're all drug addicts. You know, the yeah. the common complaint yeah. that they're all drug addicts or they're all alcoholics. Um, I. I kind of said, well, yeah, if you're sleeping on know, the, yeah. the side of the, the road and you have nowhere to use the restroom and you have no no coping like, mechanism, no coping yeah. mechanism, you have nobody there with you, you have to sleep in literal dirt. Yeah. Um, you have to shit yeah, on the street. Yeah, I would probably get high and just like numb myself and out. Completely. Yeah. And the truth <laughs> of the matter is a th- locally, and I'm talking San Pedro, I think a lot of people, you know, get really hooked hung up on the numbers elsewhere, and people say, well, tell me about San Pedro. Well, San Pedro, a third of our population is struggling with substance abuse issues and or mental illness. Okay. Now, that's those are varying levels. That could be someone with alcoholism. That could mm-hmm. be someone who's on meth. Mm-hmm. That could be someone who has schizophrenia. Mm-hmm. That could be someone who has anxiety disorder and is medicated. So yeah. th- those are, it's a whole spectrum. Like, and PTSD, um, I'm sure. Of course. Yeah. Um, so even if we callously, which we shouldn't take those third out of the equation, there is still a huge number of people that we need to look at that are not struggling with those issues, but are still struggling with homelessness. Right. So I try not to divide it like that because I don't at any point want people to say, well, I'm only will- willing to house families, but I'm not willing to house individual men who are vets struggling with PTSD. Like, right. That's that seems callous. Mm-hmm. And then we get back to the, the B word, the bigotry of mm-hmm. it. So, but it's good to be aware of right. how the population breaks down so you don't fall into the trap. Like I hear so often of people saying, well, the, most of them have mental illness and are drug addicts. And it's like, well, actually, that is not a fact. Mm-hmm. That is that is a lie. Yes, um, that's So repeating it yeah. is like any other time in history. We've taken a stereotype, we've taken a lie, and we've just repeated it because it makes ourselves feel better and better about our, our, our decisions. Right, and it's also what we can see with our own eyes. Of course, the and that's ones, the thing. Is like you, you said. That's what you see. Mm-hmm. Um, we only see that population. Yeah. If I could, streets, would right. I have a, you know, a homeless family I know of go stand on the street and just say, hey, by the way, I'm homeless. 
did you think I was home? Like, no, yeah. no, I'm not going to use, you know. Mm -hmm. Also, something that, you know, people aren't aware of is the, the prevalence of homeless families in LAUSD locally. Yeah. locally mm -hmm. in San Pedro schools. Mm -hmm. um, that's all part of the solution. We can't parse it out. We can't say, well, we're only going to offer solutions to those families. Right. It doesn't work like that. Right. Um, hey guys, quick break here. I wanted to take a moment to acknowledge our sponsor and then I promise we'll get right back to our conversation. Okay. So everyone who knows me knows that I'm a huge coffee girl. I need my coffee and there's nothing I love more than being at my favorite coffee shop and catching up on social media, which is why I'm very proud to introduce to you the podcast's first sponsor, Sirens Java and Tea. The shop is located on 7th Street in downtown San Pedro and has become my favorite home away from home. So be sure to stop by and definitely check them out on their new Instagram at Sirens Java Tea House. Because so, because I mean, even even when, when we come to homeless children, we can't stand to see it. We're just we like, no, we, we need to get them in the home. We need to come come into my own house. Literally. I will serve you. Yes. I will cook for you. I will do what you need to do. Let's go take your school shopping. But these children get older. They become teenagers. And then pretty soon they're 18 and they're adults. And it's like, well, at what point do we stop caring for these people? You know, do we just yeah. do we just kind of like check out at 18 and not care about them anymore? Yeah. And like you said, it's like. Some children have been flirting with homeless throughout their entire childhood, you know? And and so a lot of the people that we see are used to be children who, you know, didn't get maybe all the care they need or only had it when they were children, you know? It, you know, it's a really good point because this may sound a little touchy-feely, but it is, it's data-driven that, you know, so we call this in the social service mental health field adverse childhood experiences. Mm -hmm. So when you've dealt with trauma as a young child, mm -hmm. um, be it, uh, you know, having a parent that parent that was abusing substances, having a parent in jail, being sexually abused, being molested, being physically abused, being emotionally abused as a child, all of those things. There's, there's actually like a 10 point scale called an you know, ACE survey where mm -hmm. you can talk about adverse childhood experiences. And I really like it because it, it actually separates out what we all consider like resilience building. Like we all went through stuff as kids, right. right? Like maybe, you know, you were bullied a little or you had a parent that didn't buy you the power wheels you wanted. Right. Okay. Yeah. But those things aren't trauma. Right. Right. We have to separate those things out. Completely. Whereas different. there are people that literally experience trauma, yeah. you know, had a parent in and out of uh, incarceration, mm -hmm. had a parent in, in a mental institute, had, right. uh, was molested. Or I think even, what even what uh, Mike Real in that episode yes. he experienced a little bit of trauma. Absolutely, because seeing violence in your neighborhood firsthand he, so much. Not even just the violence at his yeah. front door. He had a bloody man come into his home. Yes, you know, absolutely. These are things and that we don't around see. community violence the way he was, mm -hmm. where it was part of his. I, I remember him talking about the hat he got with the W and how that was just part of almost like a, it was like a familial culture for them, but it was something that is highly traumatic. Right. Um, so backtracking, when we talk about what that does, it rewires the brain at such a young age mm -hmm. and causes people to be much more likely, literally, to be, to abuse substances when they're older, mm -hmm. to suffer from debilitating depression, anxiety, mm -hmm. even it heightens their chance to have chronic illness, like heart disease mm -hmm. or cancer or diabetes. Mm -hmm. um, this is this is not like made up. These are facts. Right. Um, so when we look at our homeless population now, a lot of times we're looking at the outcome of children with adverse childhood experiences. Mm -hmm. So we talk about how we would take a child into our home and we would protect them and we would take care of them and we would do everything we could. Yeah. And when we're looking at the adults sleeping on the street, a high percentage of them are those children. Mm -hmm. They're just the adult versions of those children right now. Right. And until we can get them stable mm -hmm. to then work on some of those issues, be it with medication or therapy or just giving them the sense that we care enough to make you stable mm -hmm. and give you housing, um, there's not much people can do about that. Right. Right. Um, you know, I'm the first to, to admit I went through pretty intense perinatal mental health issues with my second child. Okay. I suffered, I suffered through uh, panic attacks, mm -hmm. kind of nonstop. And... Not something I'm proud of, right. but it's something that, you know, I think is really important to talk about. Very different from my first pregnancy, by the way, which was rainbows and unicorns. But um, <laughs> It's so funny how every kid is different. I've heard that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
But it, even though I've worked with population suffering with mental health issues for my career, mm-hmm. it was the first time that I personally felt it. Yeah. I couldn't work. Mm-hmm. Um, I had to take a maternity leave early, but I had the resources to do that. Exactly. I had yes. to start going to therapy. Yep. I had to have someone help watch my child. But I was so privileged to be able to do that. And it was still hard. Yes. yes. And it was still debilitating. Yes. So it's centered me so much on this work and imagining that if I didn't have those resources, I literally do not know what, what would have come of me. Exactly. Um, exactly. We have the resources. We have the means. I, I, yeah, I completely understand. And that, that is something that may be even episodic. Mm-hmm. Like it was for three months mm-hmm. of my pregnancy, mm-hmm. and perhaps it would have just gone away like magic. I don't know. The first three months of my pregnancy were incredibly difficult. I was like emotionally. I, I really feel like I was emotionally distressed, and that's how yeah. I describe it. Yeah. I was always on the verge of tears for yeah. some reason in my very first three months. So I, you couldn't even see that I was pregnant yet. But you're just, <laughs> I was just a wreck. A crazy person. Yeah. And my husband, God bless him. He was, he was there for me. He was there to catch me. We had a home to go to, you know? Um, and when it came to the, the first three months of my son's life, again, yeah. I was a wreck, you know, luckily I was able to have a support like you said, you know, I had that safety net where people can watch me and I could take paid time off from my job to be at home and to deal with my own, I want to call it mental health issues. Yeah. Because that's exactly how I felt. That's what it was. And there's stigma in Mm -hmm. calling that out as it is, but the only thing we can do is keep talking about it, right? Right. Mm -hmm. But, you know, sometimes when people say, well, these people don't want to work hard or they're vagrants or all these, it's just, it's too awful, really. Uh, I... Just think about my situation. If I was pregnant and had these issues and couldn't work, take away all my safety nets. Mm-hmm. Let's say because of this, my husband left me mm-hmm. and I lost my job. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Square one, I would have nothing. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just, I, it completely changed the way that I, even though I've worked in this field for so long, mm-hmm. it completely changed my drive when you, when you said when if my husband would let, leave me, I, yeah. I kind of, like, felt that. Because I remember when I was going through that, I was, like, so worried that he wasn't going to be able to, like, handle me. Oh. <laughs> I was that much of a wreck. I was, like, I felt so bad for him, you know? And I thanked him all the time. Thank you for putting up with me, you but know? But it's hard. But it's so hard, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, oh. I, anyway. I know. We can go on for forever. <laughs> yeah. I wanted to ask you specifically what you knew about, or what we need to know about the shelter that's coming yes. to San Pedro. Absolutely. Well, we don't know if it's coming yet. Okay. It's, it's still it's sure. still in the vetting process. Mm-hmm. Um, we actually should have more information about that, where we are in the vetting process. Last I heard, we were about 80% through the vetting process for the San Pedro shelter. Mm-hmm. Um, but if it goes through the vetting process and everything is fine, mm-hmm. it should open within the next guessing three to six months oh wow yeah um and what it would be is a temporary shelter put up for three years and a lot of people have said like well how do we know that's going to happen how do we know anything's going to happen right so it's not the best argument um yeah and it will be set up as a temporary structure so Mm -hmm. i don't think it'll be built to last Mm -hmm. for for 20 years yeah i I think i've seen other ones they're kind of built like bungalows yes essentially i think of them as like fema Mm-hmm. The, like some of the FEMA structures okay, when yeah. there's uh-huh. um, uh, natural disasters, but right. uh, and, so, and the one downtown El Pueblo is uh, a set of like portables, kind of like what you see at schools, mm-hmm. uh, that are brought together by like a patio system. Right. I've so, seen the, I've seen the one in um, I, I saw Eric Barsetti's like last video. Yes, you know when yes. he kind of goes over it. Um, and you know what? I, I'm gonna link it all into the show. Great, right, great. Right. It's yeah. so great to um, put those images out there because people right. are so and rightfully so, wondered, how is this going to look? And, you know, not crazy, obviously. Mm -hmm. And it will house most likely between 40 and 60 individuals. Mm -hmm. And that includes couples, Mm -hmm. which is a huge barrier to entry for a lot of people for housing because they do not want to separate from the one person that they feel safe with, as well as pets. And for a lot of people, I think some people are like, what the hell? They They should just give up their dogs. But if you've been living on the street for 15 years and all you have is your puppy... Um, you may not want to leave them. No. And I may understand that, actually. Well, just think of, like, Tom Hanks and his volleyball. There you go. 
Can we uh, like Wilson? Just, yeah, Wilson. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, he, he, there's no way you could Absolutely. ever separate the two. And it's because in that trauma, in their, in his like, disparity, you cannot let go of your safety. You're one something. And we love dogs so much, which is so funny that we would be like, now give up your dogs. <laughs> so there's going to be like a dog run oh, and um, space for that. And one thing that differentiates it from the traditional shelters that you see on Skid Row or other places where people have to line up Mm -hmm. and there's only so many beds and whoever's the first 40 in line get Mm -hmm. those first 40 beds for the night. Mm -hmm. This is going to be run like permanent supportive housing. Okay. So it will have all the wraparound services there. Uh People can stay there all day if they want. Mm -hmm. They will have their assigned space bed so they can go out, do whatever they need to do during the day to move forward with their life. Is that go to appointments or get a job or those Mm -hmm. other various things? And they know they'll have that bed Mm -hmm. back at the end of the night. And I think that's really a really important distinction. So we're not going to be having this, you know, soup kitchen style outdoor line going down three blocks. Mm -hmm. It's literally just like any other permanent supportive housing unit, which we have throughout San Pedro. We have Mm -hmm. scattered site and permanent supportive housing buildings mm-hmm. where people aren't usually even aware that that's going on right because it's just somewhere someone goes to sleep and live and then they go out just like we all do in our houses right mm-hmm. so it will just be that mm-hmm. so and they will have all the services there which is another huge barrier to our service providers like harbor interfaith or Hopix or the other ones in the area where they're spending so much time trying to track down homeless individuals yeah and trying to get people to their appointments or get them their their ID cards back. Mm-hmm. All of these things take so much time when people are sleeping in tents and then displaced and not allowed to be within a certain number of feet of their tents during the day mm-hmm. and don't have cell phones. This is very hard to navigate this system Absolutely. without stability. So this is giving that. So we have homeless individuals in San Pedro and Harbor Interfaith, though they do all of the homeless support services you could think of, mm-hmm. they only run one shelter and it's for families in San Pedro. Um, but there are literally, and that's by the way, 58 beds only. There are there are no shelter beds in San Pedro for homeless individuals. Wow, I really thought that there was. I thought no. that Harbor Interfaith kind of took everybody. Lots of people do, and they're very clear about it, it's just not a lot of people are aware of that. Right. I feel like repeating that over and over again. There are no shelter beds for individuals in San Pedro. There's nowhere to go in San Pedro if you are homeless tonight, tomorrow, next week. The closest place that has individual shelter beds um, that we hook San Pedrans up with is in Inglewood. And those are pretty full, to be honest. Mm -hmm. Some people can possibly go to Long Beach, but the way Long Beach works, they prioritize Long Beach homeless and residents. Mm -hmm. So you're unlikely to get one in Long Beach. Mm -hmm. You're possibly likely to get one in Inglewood, but there are very limited beds and absolutely not enough. So that's that's something I just want to really reiterate for people when they say, well, they choose not to go inside. There is nowhere to go inside in San Pedro. Right. It just shows you how much more we need the shelter. Yes. That's why we need it. There's no place to go. You know, it's just so funny how much we expect from people who who are homeless because I... (laughs) When I was like just a uh, just a few years ago, I feel like it took me so long just after college to get myself off my own damn butt to get like a job and be yes. a really aggressive with it. And here we are just expecting these people who literally can't put down an address for their application, can't put down a phone number, have most no likely, toilet or running water, have no toilet or running water, can't even get ready for a job interview. Yeah. We expect them to go out and get a job. And what's your excuse? You have no excuse. You know, totally. It is amazing how much we expect from individuals who do not have the resources that. We have and we ourselves and I'm including myself in this struggle just to get through the day for the most part when we have everything we need we have the comfort of our own car we can break down in our own bedroom we can have a a mental episode in our own home but they do not have any of these things and yet we expect so much from them it it blows my mind and and even with some of the substance issues I kind of laugh like uh, I can have too many drinks in my house you know what I mean? But we, like, if obviously if you are houseless, you are not afforded that, which it makes sense. Of course, nobody wants anyone drunk in public. But if you're, right. if you're using this as a basic coping mechanism, yes. um, like I have too, too many glasses of wine sometimes at the end of a long day. Always. So, <laughs> so uh, you know, it's, yeah. it's just we've taken the humanity out of the argument so much. Yeah. Um, and so many of the people that are the most vocal protesters, and I, by the way, 
I'm all for educated protesting. If you have the facts and you mm-hmm. have the info and you don't want something, right? please go after it and protest it. Yeah. But if you're doing it with the wrong information, mm-hmm. that's where I start to feel sensitive about it. Mm-hmm. And, so. and I feel like with the pro- protesting too, because I, I want to make sure that in this episode, I really am looking at all sides. I want to hear I want to hear all the concerns and I want to hear all the perspectives about this issue because it does affect all of us. Yes. Um but as soon as I hear somebody like they all or yes, the other rising. Right. Yeah, the other rising or completely stereotyping an entire community of people who are all different with different backgrounds and different stories, I I, I almost immediately stop listening because they're discredited. You yeah. you cannot come to this issue and have an educated, you know, protest if you already are starting off stereotyping yes. this, this group of individual people, you know? Yes. Well, and I'm the first to say, a lot of people say, you know, I'm the cheerleader for homelessness in San Pedro, <laughs> but at the same time, there are problems with the system and problems with the solutions that we're being presented with. Yeah. And I'm the first to say, yes, like, for example, the Beacon Street site is not my first choice for a site, mm-hmm. but given all of the sites that went through the vetting process and what, you know, was looked at, it was the best of like it was what could possibly work out right but i'm first to say like it is not my ideal site i know i get that i i get that too and and honestly i don't my issue with it is that yeah it is and this is what i've been hearing from everybody it's right in front of our cruise terminal totally so all of the people coming around the world to take a cruise are going to see this homeless shelter (laughs) but what they'll see hopefully is an enclosed space right. that looks nicer rather than people living in tents and pooping on the street. And you know what? I, I re- I'm really glad that I saw that video, and I will link it up in the show notes. But um, when you look at the plans for the for the one in Santa Monica, yeah. it is beautiful. It looks yes. like bungalows, and they actually put um, greenery and shrub yes. around it. So it makes it look like a little, like living area it's very nice absolutely um and also when they come here and they see this you know i'm sure there'll be you know some individuals out and about enjoying the beautiful fountains enjoying the beautiful newly revamped waterfront as as we get there um i get it i get that we don't want that to be the first thing that people see but honestly is there a great place to put a homeless shelter. No, nobody tr- I mean, wants truly, it in our neighborhoods. Like, nobody wants it in our neighborhoods. Nobody wants it near their businesses. Nobody wants um, it near their houses. Yeah. Nobody wants it near their schools. I hear suggestions to put them in almost industrialized areas. And yes. like, well, that's not humane. Well, it's not humane. <laughs> it's also the, the access to services are not there. And that's yeah. what people need to truly get back on their feet. Mm-hmm. We're not looking at this as like an end game solution. Mm-hmm. Bridge housing or that temporary shelter is not a solution. Right. It's a stopgap while we're still waiting for HHH funds from LA right. to build the permanent supportive housing we need to mm-hmm. get people housed forever. Right. So this is more for the next three years while these developments are being vetted mm-hmm. and um, our public dollars mm-hmm. are being spent responsibly. Mm-hmm. What should what happens tonight mm-hmm. with the people sitting on the street? What can we do with them mm-hmm. now to make them safer, to possibly make it so that when we get, as we roll out permanent supportive housing, our neighbors that are going into those housing units are that much more successful, already have a leg up. Right. Um, yeah. I wanted to ask you, so Mayor Garcetti just, um, I saw like a post on Facebook. He, he kind of threw out this um, encouragement. He encourages LA families to house individuals oh, in granny flats, granny flats in their backyard. Yes. What's your opinion on that? Um, I'm all for it. I've yet to see a granny flat um, roll yeah. out, but at least in LA, I haven't. Yes. seen I haven't heard or seen any. So I am all for it. Uh-huh. I mean, I'm all for innovative solutions. Mm-hmm. I've heard all kinds of great solutions. Right. Um, one organization in Venice has essentially they work with transitional age youth that are homeless so that's Mm -hmm. 18 to 26 24 Mm -hmm. whatever the number is you want to use Mm -hmm. um and it it encourages families that are local families who have an extra room to bring in a transitional age youth to live with them Mm -hmm. to become part of their family right so it's kind of informal uh, prolonged foster care right but it's literally saying like what are the resources we as a city have and how can we smartly use these resources to help our neighbors yep I'm yeah. all about it. Yeah. Um, I know in, um, in when I was doing some research about this issue and I was looking at other states that were um, really aggressive about their solutions, uh, I think Seattle is probably one of the most, right? They're the most aggressive and um, proactive when it comes to finding solutions for homelessness. 
And they actually started the program where they basically sign families up um, who have homes and have backyards and and start doing like a matching program where yeah. they get they if they're a family with young kids maybe they want um, they feel more comfortable with a female or you know some a family yeah. with other kids and then for an older veteran who lives alone might be more susceptible to have like a, a, a veteran who also has PTSD complete completely I love the idea of a matching program because I understand that not everybody is going to have a, a heart for all of them I understand that you know, individuals have hearts that get tugged for different reasons. Yeah. And I think if we can just kind of navigate those those heart-tugging moments and start matching people up, yeah. in a sense, um, and same with, uh, same with causes, too. Um, but, yeah, I think this is going to be a group effort for the community. Well, everyone is part of the solution here, mm-hmm. um, even if it sounds cliche. And the tide that needs to turn desperately is people saying just... I want to help the homeless. I just don't think this is a good fit for our community because it's just not a valid argument, unfortunately, anymore. Because they are part of our community. Right. They're they're here. Mm-hmm. They're living here. Mm-hmm. They just not may not be housed. Do you have statistics on how many people in in um, in San Pedro? Do you know how many of them are from here? So we know this from LAPD mm-hmm. and some of the organizations like. Interfaith that do this work on the front line and they confidently say more than 70% of our homeless are either from San Pedro, have family here, have ties here, are, are our community. Right. And anyone who's like, well, they've only, they maybe they haven't been here for 10 years. You know what? I've only lived in San Pedro for nine years. Mm-hmm. Am I not allowed to be a San Pedro? Mm-hmm. Can I not be a pirate? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. <laughs> so mm-hmm. that, there you go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I wanted to address that because I feel like a lot of people feel like they're bringing them in from every of other course. place, you know, and we yeah. feel like they're not part of us. But right. actually, you just said 70% of these individuals are actually from here, have roots here, or have family here. These Absolutely. are our... Or work here. Or, I know people are like, what do you right. mean they work? Yeah, they work here. They just don't have enough to mm-hmm. afford housing. Do you know how many kids are in school right now in our local schools that are homeless? You know, I don't have that number. We could possibly get it from mm-hmm. uh, LACO or LAUSD. Okay. But mm-hmm. the number is tremendous. I heard an anecdotal count, but it was so large, I don't feel comfortable sharing it because I, I hope it can't be true. Yes. So, yeah. um, it is, it's a tremendous issue. Right. Um, speaking of our homeless neighbors that are working, my husband was on the way to work. He works in Torrance mm-hmm. um, on the 110 the other day, and he he always often sees this the same woman who I think sleeps off Alameda Boulevard. There's a really large encampment there, mm-hmm. um, and he said she's you know hilariously and very uh, creatively found a way to tap into it seems like a water source to get ready for work, and he almost always sees her on the side with a compact and a little trickle of water oh, wow. uh, getting ready for work every morning. Wow. And he's like, I wonder what she does. But whatever it is, she mm-hmm. needs to put on some makeup and get ready. And mm-hmm. that's where she can do it. Mm-hmm. So what are we waiting for as far as the shelter? Are we, we're waiting for some type of approval, right? We're waiting for it to be vetted fully through all the city departments that need to vet it. Mm-hmm. I, I, I think in late November, early December, we'll have an info session mm-hmm. uh, for San Pedro to find out more. Mm-hmm. And that will look like all of the various service providers coming in. We have one in Watts a couple weeks ago, actually. Um, as well as our elected officials and people really answering questions and digging deep into what this is going to look like. They even had some example renderings at the Watts mm-hmm. info session and engaging people in this work. Mm-hmm. And that's truly what we need to do. Uh, you know, a lot of people know that I want, I run a working group of CD15, which is our council district wide working group of mm-hmm. neighborhood councils, individual stakeholders the elected officials that represent us and all the community-based organizations or most of them that serve individuals experiencing homelessness. Mm-hmm. And something that we focus on over and over again is we need to just support the solutions and help implement them as best as possible for right. our area. Because honestly, the argument that these solutions aren't right for our city, the train has left the station. Mm-hmm. We're going to get some of these solutions. Mm-hmm. We've already voted to have this money taken out of our taxes. Mm-hmm. So it's a coming. Mm-hmm. What you want, though, is a voice and how it works. Right. And I think that's where everyone can be engaged. Okay. Mm-hmm. And if and everyone can be engaged through that lens mm-hmm. instead of saying no, but no, but it's yes, but. Mm-hmm. So 
yes, we're going to have this site. Mm -hmm. Let's just assume it's going to happen now. Mm -hmm. What does that look like? Mm -hmm. And how do we feel most comfortable with it? Right. How do we welcome these new neighbors who are actually not new? How yeah. do we take the neighbors that are there now, welcome them under a roof, and make sure that they're part of our neighborhood right. in a way that they care about our neighborhood the same way we do? Because mm -hmm. they, they likely already do. But how, how are we part of that solution? Right. And I think everyone needs to yeah. do some soul searching around that. Yeah. Because it's not a, there's, it sounds bold, but it's going to happen. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think we do need to start asking that question. And because I knew I was going to be interviewing with you soon, I think that was a lot of the reason why I went out of my way to ask uh, Kyson his name. I asked yeah. him his story at the gas station. I was like, no, I'm, I'm actually part of the problem. If I just kind of give him money and shoo yeah. him away, I wanted to ask him his story. I wanted to talk to him. And I'm so glad that I did because I learned something. I learned so much. And I learned that these people do not all have the same story. I mean, I knew that before, but it just goes to show you time and time again, you know? Yeah. Um, well, I want to I wanna wrap it up, and I want to be considerate of your time, and I really want to thank you for, for sitting down with me. Absolutely. Since this is a Thanksgiving Day episode, yes. I wanted to ask you, what are you thankful for? I am thankful for so much, and I actually have a gratitude practice every evening. After my, I put my kids down to bed, I sit and I meditate a little, and I'm, I list things I'm thankful for because it's really hard to do this work and not stay if you don't stay grounded and centered, you can't do anything wrong. I really believe that. Um, so I'm thankful for my family. I'm thankful that I've been given privilege as much as sometimes I'm ashamed of it too, mm -hmm. where I was able to have a voice mm -hmm. from a young age where I felt empowered mm -hmm. to speak out about things and was able to continue to do that mm -hmm. and go to college and learn more about that. Um, I'm thankful to live in a beautiful city, beautiful, diverse city that is full of varying opinions and views and people. Mm -hmm. um, I'm thankful for all of that. Mm -hmm. um, and something I wanted to share with you is there's a really great podcast, but also a lot of great research called Positive Psychology mm -hmm. about how gratitude is really important, obviously. Spending a few minutes a day to be um, thankful for things, but not just saying I'm thankful for my son because, uh, I'm thankful for my son, but saying the why. So like, I'm thankful that my son gave me a hug today because it shows that he loves me mm -hmm. and that shows that we share a bond. Mm -hmm. So the why is something that really helps create new that's, neural pathways for yourself. That's good to know. That's good to know. I think the gratitude practice is something we need to start teaching more often. You know, it's so funny because my son is already 10 months, but I feel so behind on so many things. We all do. It's like he needs to stop for a second so I can get it together <laughs> and know how I'm going to raise him. I don't know how I'm yeah. going to raise him yet. And there's so many things I wanted to do, like reading to him every night or having like a, a you know, a bedtime routine and it's just slipping away slowly. So there's no time like today. And I'm glad to hear about that gratitude, um, kind of like addition to yeah, the gratitude so it's practice. Like, I, be thankful for something and why. Mm -hmm. And that's something I can teach him hopefully nice. right now. Um, gratitude is so important and I listen to a lot of like financial podcasts, you know, so I can kind of get my financial life together. Um, and every, every, you know, wealthy person or every person who's really accomplished their goals, you know, as far as starting their own business or creating their, you know, 401k or getting a retirement plan together, they've all kind of said, you need to be grateful first, you know, you need to be grateful for what you have first. Um, thank you for sharing that. And thank you for throwing that out there for the community to hear. Yeah, I, I really... I, I, no joke. I think I'm going to start it with our team meetings at my work and see how that sticks. Yeah, that, that would everyone be. has to go around and say something they're thankful for and why. I think it's so important um, that you mentioned having a center, you know, and That's... using gratitude as your center. I kind of feel like I need to find something because every little story that I hear that's upsetting to me really throws me off balance. You know, even yeah. the new story, even political, you know, nonsense right now, I'm like, <gasps> I'm thrown off completely. And I'm realizing I need to find a center. Well, the more you care, the more it affects you, right? right. The more open you are to the world right. and seeing things and feeling things, the more, unfortunately, open you are. It's like almost like a, a open wound mm -hmm. to fill. But remembering also that being centered and grounding, you already have all that. Right. You just have to show up for it. Right. All right. Well, thank you so much for thank being you. with us. For anyone who is experiencing homelessness right now, what are some resources in town that they can they can go get right now? Absolutely. So call 211. 211. That's one of the easiest ones. 
um, and they will immediately link you to resources locally. Okay. And that's something people also should be doing. I encourage people, if you see, I've, I did this recently, a man sitting on the bench outside of Trader Joe's who looks like he could use some help. Mm-hmm. Don't hesitate to call 211 for someone else. Okay. Or ask someone what they need some help with. Mm-hmm. We have Harbor Interfaith here who we're lucky enough because they are also the kind of main organization in our supervisorial district. So they're, mm-hmm. they're a very important organization. There's Rainbow Services, obviously, if you are experiencing domestic violence, mm-hmm. man or woman, by mm-hmm. the way. Mm-hmm. Um, and... 211 is a great place to start. Harbor Interfaith, finding local organizations. Mm-hmm. Those are some easy ones. To start awesome. With. Thank you so much. I'll have those linked up into the show notes so that people know right away. Thank you so much for your time and thank you for being on the show and really educating the community about this big issue. It's a very big and important issue. Um, I want to encourage everyone to respond back from this episode. I want to hear all of your reactions and your comments. Also, please take our homelessness survey um, on the website, hellosanpedro.com. Um, I really hope to have you back, Amber. I so would, no, I would love as, to come back and update. Yeah. I'd like to say we solved it all. Yeah. Right? <laughs> Let's get an update from you. Yeah. So hopefully next year in 2019, we'll have a really awesome update to do. Wonderful. Yeah. Thank you again. Thank you. Hey guys, I quickly wanted to point out that after the recording of this episode, our councilman posted on Facebook that the number of kids experiencing homelessness in LAUSD schools is 15,589. Also after this recording, he confirmed that the Beacon Street site is suitable for a bridge home shelter. All of the information relevant to this episode will be listed in the show notes as links. So be sure to check them out. And um, also, please take the survey on homelessness at hellosanpedro.com. Thanks so much for listening. Have a wonderful Thanksgiving.